0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to They Had Fun. I'm Rachel and I'm back with another amazing story about New York City. And as you might have guessed, our first Rachel's Wreck this week is our listener's choice. I put up a question in our story last Friday, asking you what Rachel's Wrecks you would want to hear. And I got so many good ones. I'm so seriously excited about this and doing it every week. But one of them I got really struck me because it's something I've never talked about on the show before. And that was a request for things to to do with kids. So, in regards to that, I thought we would have a bit of a theme this week, and that would be the holidays in the city. So, it's a bit of a Christmas theme, but the first one will be something to do with kids, and the second one is for everyone. So, let's get started. Number one is the holiday train show at the New York Botanical Garden. And I know maybe you're thinking, like, oh, that's kind of obvious, but here's the thing that you learn when you do these events and activities with kids, and you spend all this money and you take them to these places, a lot of the places fucking suck. And this one, I'm telling you, this holiday train train show is actually worth your time and money and, and taking the train up there, which whether that be the Metro North or the subway. It's just a beautiful show. It's so magical. Get a cup of hot cocoa with your kids or any of these children you're bringing with you. or Frankly, if you're an adult, you can go too. It's actually fun. The grounds are lovely. The trains are going around and like all of these buildings and landmarks in New York City are recreated in the train show. It's it's honestly worth your time and it's just beautiful. And of course, anytime going to the Botanical Gardens up There in the Bronx is just wonderful. So that's my first one. If you want to hear more things to do with kids, keep asking. I had like a thousand, I couldn't decide what to do, but I truly enjoyed doing this. And every year they just do such a great job. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay, number two. Anne's Tree Land on Woodhaven Boulevard and Rego Park. Okay, I have bought my Christmas tree there the last two years in a row and I wish I knew about it before because it is the best Christmas trees in the city. Okay, trust me on this. I'm telling you, when I've already texted like three people about this because when I get passionate about something, I really want to share it with everyone and I want everyone to go. And this place, okay, just top to bottom. Let's start at the top. The people working there, incredible, friendly, lovely, nice, helpful, all of these things. Tie your tree to your car, Two, the pricing. I promise you, you will not find a better priced tree in all of New York City. Okay, I can't promise you that, but like I'm pretty positive about this. Three, the trees themselves. They're beautiful, they're massive. They smell incredible. They last forever. Anne's Tree Land, I just love it. I love everyone working there. You know, you obviously might need a car to go do this activity. If you're lucky like me, you have a friend who lent you one. Or why not? See if you can carry a Christmas tree on an MTA bus And if you get yelled at. Or maybe someone will take a picture of you and posted on what is new york. I'm not sure. Okay, those are our Rachel's Rex for this week. I hope you guys are having a great holiday time in New York City. I love 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 this time. You know I love the summer, but this time right here before Christmas when all the decor goes up and everyone's out having a good time and drinking and shopping and looking at windows, I just love it so much. So I hope you are enjoying it too. Let's get on to my guest this week. I am seriously so honored to have him. He has done one of my absolute most favorite moth radio hour stories. It's called Drowning on Sullivan. We're going to link to it in the show description. He also has been featured in a TED Talk. And outside of that, he's a general contractor in New York City with Praxis NYC. Please welcome to the show, Ed Gavigan.
1: Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I truly am honored to have you because as I was saying, for 15 years, I believe, in 2007 is when Drowning on Sullivan first hit the airwaves. For 15 years, I have loved this story. I have recommended it to people. I have texted it. I have emailed. I have cried. I have listened with my husband. I have sent it to my mom when she doesn't understand why I still want to live here. I love this story so much. And the theme of They Had Fun continues. I found you. I told you how much I love this story and you said, let's do it. Um, So thank you for being on. And I was hoping we could talk a bit about drowning on Sullivan. Maybe you're sick of it at this point, but I, I, the thing that I love so much about this story is of course, it's unending love for New York city, but also your storytelling, which is so magical and so powerful, the highs, the lows, the laughs, the crying, you do it all. Uh, you're a great storyteller. There we are.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks very much. Well, I I got up at an open mic night at the Moth. You know, it make me feel old when you tell me how long ago I told that story. The Moth used to have, like on a Sunday night, they'd be in a bar on Bleecker Street. There would be 20 people there and six of them worked for the Moth. <laughs> it's <was> like <laughs> the sound guy, the MC, you know, the, the artistic director. And then there'd be 10 people in the audience. And- Not everyone in the audience wanted to tell a story. So they'd be like, well, we we have 10 slots. Can anybody please put their name in the hat? You know, now compare that to now. When hundreds of people show up and the hat is jammed, right? back then it was raw. And I would go with my wife and we'd love to go into these crazy nights of listening to people, you know, and sometimes people would get up and they'd start telling the story and they'd be like, <laughs> and you're like, dude, this, this needs to be your therapy, not like, <laughs> don't be telling us this because you clearly haven't worked it out yet. Like it's not yeah. a story. You're just venting, you know, (laughs) but it was, it was endearing and, and, and lovely. And the audience was there to, you know, to, to take whatever was offered. And this particular night, my wife couldn't come. And the story theme for the night was rescue and we're on bleaker street, two blocks from where I had been stabbed the years before, like every New Yorker's absolute worst nightmare of Mm -hmm. being attacked on the street at night like they didn't even give me a chance to be robbed you know they were going to kill me and so I thought to myself I've never told a story before I have no experience in being on stage in New York City and I've never gotten up at the moth and but look there's 10 people here my wife's not so I can and I put my name at
0: are you serious right now and
1: I had no yeah
0: that is how this story happened
1: I just told it in uh, off the top of my head in like off the cuff. Like I didn't even, I had no idea how I, I was just like, I have a rescue story. I put my name in the hat. And then of course they pull my name and I'm like, oh fuck. My voice is shaking and I'm like, you know, I, I, I got rescued one night. It was only a few blocks from here. And then I was so nervous about going over time. Right. Cause they hold up the little thing. You've got six minutes. Mm-hmm. I ended my story in like five minutes. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even use my whole amount of time. And then I, I, I you know, put the mic back in the stand and the whole room was just like, Holy shit. <laughs> this dude, <laughs> you know, he's alive. Oh my God. Yeah. So then the um, artistic director of the moth, Catherine, um, burns she said you know we've got a thing going at the players club later um a month from now or three weeks from now would you want to tell that story now a little bit longer we can have like a 12 minute version and i was like yeah i can throw in some of the more details because i was a lot that went on that night uh yeah from being stabbed and ending up in the emergency room and all of that as I told the story, that's the one they recorded. And that when they started to have a podcast, that was one of the first stories to go on the podcast.
0: For good reason, because I just can't believe this all sort of happened on a whim and you didn't really have a storytelling background because you are so innately a natural storyteller. I mean, you can just tell talking to you now, you can tell by watching your Ted talk or hearing these stories. And clearly this artistic director saw that skill and knew that story was special. And, you know, got you to do the full version of it. And it is like you're saying, it's just a ride of to just quickly sum it up and everyone should listen to it. And we, of course, will link it on the Instagram and on everything else and in the podcast. But you are working at this bar that you had helped make. And then you went out one night and you happened to get stabbed in a gang initiation. And then you made it to the hospital and everyone thought you were going to die. And then you lived. But life was still hard because you had no money and you got evicted. And all of these things. And let's just say with a happy ending in a bit, you you survived. And we're talking to <laughs> you now. And New York plays a role in that. And I won't give it away for anyone. So clearly she saw the magic of this story. And it's no surprise to me that it's garnered so much attention and views and love. You know, for me most of all, it's just such a, a love letter to New York City. To this day, I still love it. And I'm glad you got up on stage that night and 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 just did it.
1: Well, it was a it was a life-changing night definitely was life-changing
0: i love that story so much i think it says a lot about the resiliency of you uh about new yorkers in general and about going through something and and coming out the other side so i guess now is has to be my terrible transition into you know getting into the questions of they had fun and just thinking about this amazing stories that you've told and the unbelievable life you have lived in new york city I need to ask you the first question of the show. And that is, when did you move to New York City?
1: Well, I was born in the Bronx. Ah! And my dad was in the Air Force. And uh, John F. Kennedy was president. (laughs) (laughs) Then we were stationed all over the world after that. And so then I went to college in Indiana. And during the summers, I came to stay with my grandfather. And he was a firefighter in the Bronx his whole life. And then he was dying of emphysema. And he thought that it was because of all the burning buildings he'd run into, not the two packs of filterless camels that he smoked every day of his life. <laughs> so I took care of him. I worked for an architecture firm on Fifth Avenue during the day. And then I worked for a restaurant in the West Village at night. It was called the Tupelo Honey on Barrow Street. And they had the best Southern biscuits. So I'd bring him back this Cajun shrimp and biscuits. and. He would tell me these stories from his days as a firefighter in the Bronx that were just unbelievable, like listening to him with his accent. You know, he's like, back then we did put a wet cloth over our mouth, you know, (laughs) and he'd have these stories that were just unbelievable. So you
0: sort of answered the second question, which is always, why did you move to New York? And it sounds like it was a bit for family and to to be with your grandfather. But is there any sort of reason why even after you did that, why maybe you continued to stay on instead of going to somewhere else?
1: Well, I had always had this feeling that New York was a place where you could make it with your talent and you didn't need family connections, which I didn't have any. Or And not that I thought that I had talent, but I knew that I <laughs> I worked hard i mean i met a guy who was um from kansas and he was gay and he was wanted to be a hairdresser and he's in kansas and he's you know young and he's like i'm not accepted being gay in kansas this is 20 Mm -hmm. years ago and so he's also like but you know what i also don't like making all the small talk when i have to do people's hair i just want to focus on the hair i don't want to do all the chit chat so he comes to new york and guess what job he gets doing the wigs for productions on Broadway. So he th- it's a wig on a head, on a, on a foam head. Yeah. So he gets to do everything that he loves to do. And nobody cares that he's gay or people love that he's gay. He gets to do the hair and he doesn't have to talk to the, to the foam head, and so that job, like I always, I, I use that example to people. Like, if you come to New York, however weird you are, you will find a job doing the particular combination of things that you want to do and that only you can do. Such
0: a great way of putting it. I don't think people think about it like that a lot. A lot of times people think about like, oh, I'll come to New York and I'll find my niche or I'll find my group. And it's essentially the exact same thing that you're saying, but just in a different way of like, I can come there and I can figure it out for myself and I can patchwork these things together. And this seems like the town that can do it for me
1: that's it
0: you're just full of these new york tales i feel like and it sort of leads us in perfectly with all of these great stories you have about new york city of me asking my most important question of the show but no pressure and that always is ed what is the most fun you've ever had in new york city
1: i remember somebody asking miles davis one time about fun and miles davis was like yeah only white people have fun (laughs) It was so dismissive of, of like the idea of fun, and so
0: God, that just like perfectly puts this podcast into context, I was.
1: But but I mean the the idea that there's you know fun has this spectrum, right? Of like, mm. where is it? Is it exhilaration? Is it enjoyment? is it shared mm-hmm. this is a story where i ended up feeling like the king of the world i felt like i had just triumphed in this in this very dark time and i kept getting fired from these jobs after i had been stabbed and i would have these nightmares and flashbacks and i would be in my my wood shop trying to make furniture right and i had these clients that had paid me deposits to build furniture for them. And uh, and then I get stabbed. And because I had no insurance, they kicked me out of the hospital nine days after I was stabbed. The, the nurse comes in to talk to me about my insurance. And of course, I was insurance free because I had my own little business. They were like, you really have no insurance, parents, nothing. And I'm like, no, I don't. Then a few hours later they come in and they're like, well, we're just amazed at how well you're doing and you need to get better at home. So they pull the chest tubes out and they send me home 10 days after I've been stabbed.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So I have stitches everywhere and then I have to go back to my wood shop. Oh my God. And I'm just like, I'm in, I'm in shock. And then I've got to build this fucking cabinet for somebody that gave me a deposit uh, a month ago. You know, I call them up and I'm like, yeah, I just got out of the hospital. I lost 40 pounds in the hospital. I'm, you know, I've got stitches everywhere. And they're like, you know, real New Yorkers. They're like, okay, whatever. When am I getting my cabinet?
0: <laughs> what about the cabinet? It
1: can't be too bad. You're, you know, you're only in the hospital for 10 days. And I'm like, you have no fucking <laughs> idea. You're right. And so I'm back at my shop, right? I'm trying to make a living and my landlord is bitching about my rent is behind so i'm coming home and i'm staying with my now wife she's at this loft in soho on the corner of the block that we lived was this building owned by this minimalist artist named donald judd and he owned the whole building
0: oh wow okay
1: now he had just died a few years earlier so there was this enormous empty building In it was his minimalist work, but also works by his minimalist friends. Now, there was this guy named Carl Andre. He he was notorious because he and his wife were having a big argument and she fell out of the window and died. (gasps) Then he was never charged for whatever reason because he just said that she was so upset at the argument that she jumped out the window. That's like... Soho artist lore.
0: Yeah, I've never heard that before. Wow.
1: Yeah. So this sculpture of Carl Andres was nine bricks stacked one on top of each other, edge to edge, to edge, to edge. He was also in the news around that time because the Tate in London had bought it was like 30 bricks laid out on the floor and everybody in in london all the working people are like what the fuck how much did you spend on, yeah. on my kid could have did that you know this yeah, whole thing yeah, yeah. so whatever yeah. you think about minimalism carl andre was pushing the limits and very notorious about it and here i am coming home from my shop where i'm being evicted mm-hmm. and trying to make a living and here on the on my block is this empty building where if i could set my tools up in there and i would walk past this empty building every single night and i was just so resentful of like real estate in new york going to waste there's this whole building is just empty for this minimalist you know and i was just having this like i was not in a place where where art mattered you know yeah
0: yeah you're i was alive
1: i'm desperately grateful to be alive and also desperately terrified that I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And and at that moment in my life, I was trapped in the undergrowth. And I had this um, tape measure. They had just come out with this tape measure, Stanley, called the Fat Max. Very wide and very heavy duty. It was like a professional level tool. So I would have that clipped on my belt And again, another night I'm walking home and I look in this big fucking whole floor on Mercer and Spring Street, empty. These nine bricks just standing there mocking me. Yeah, looking at you in the eye. You could set up a wood shop in this space, but we're here with us nine (laughs) bricks. We're the empire and we're here. And I just stood there and I and I'm a little drunk probably, and I'm looking in the window. And I'm just like, this is just, and I was like, I, I, I don't want to break the window, right? I'm I'm enraged, but I'm not that level. Like this, this is a 10 foot tall, five foot wide window.
0: Okay. I'm thinking this window's breaking is what I'm thinking. I'm
1: okay. thinking that's what I ought to do, but I'm also thinking <laughs> like, I don't want to get cut. So I look over at the door to the gallery space, it has a mail slot in the door. And I go over there and I look at I lift up the mail slot and I look in, I'm like, oh my God. I've got this tape measure so I start extending the tape measure to the mail slot, one foot, two foot, three foot. Now, because it was this super fat, wide tape measure, it would go out 10 feet without snapping. Right? So I keep going out, keep going out. And then it pops. And I'm like, Oh fuck. So reel it back in. All right. More slowly balanced a little bit better. I get it out and I can just reach the freaking pile of bricks but it's not a pile it's stacked edge to edge so i just hit the top brick and it falls off and i'm like oh yes yes this is awesome and then i hit the next brick and it falls off hit the next brick I'm the
0: man. one yeah.
1: two three and knock over and now there's just this pile of bricks and then uh, and i retract my tape measure and i just stand there and i'm just like Oh my God, I toppled the empire. Like I've just, (laughs) this is so awesome. And then I went home and I'm just like whistling with a little kick in my step, you know, and I climb up all the flight of stairs to get up to my loft and I'm laying in bed, just thinking, oh man, what are they going to think when they come back? Whoever. And then for weeks I would walk by and there'd be bricks all in a pile and nobody Cause there was this empty space. Nobody was coming by. Nobody knew.
0: Oh yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Some point like the curators or his family or whoever came by and they stacked the bricks all up again. So, but this was weeks later. And so I had every day going to and fro and looking at the pile and I was like, yes, I've, I've, I've made my mark, you know? (laughs) And then when they stacked them all up again, I went, I looked in the window and I could see the little dings in the floor where the bricks had fallen and dented the floor. And I was like, you put them back up, but I still made my mark. Yeah, I made my mark. (laughs) And so it was just, it was this weird, like, I literally, I felt like Leonardo DiCaprio on the front of the Titanic, like I'm the king of the world. It was it was such a potent antidote to everything that I was going through at that time. You know, and now, yeah, uh, you know, you look back on it and you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe shouldn't have done that. But in the end, no real harm done.
0: There wasn't cameras back then catching everything. Yeah, no. And I think it's such an insane testament to your skills as a storyteller. <laughs> That the story you've given us about the most fun in the greatest city in the world (laughs) involved you by yourself. Knocking over bricks through the (laughs) door slot. But I mean that's I mean that so sincerely because we're all taken on the ride with you. I'm on like the edge of my seat. I'm like, what's he doing? And I know where you are in that moment mentally and physically and and to know what that feels like in New York City when it's just fucking killing you, when you Mm. just can't see the way out, you know? And then something like that just grabs a hold of you and I know what it must've felt like in that moment to just get that first one down and be like, hell yes. And it is funny that somehow we've landed on like, damn, the man is still like a, you know, like a minimalist artist. Somehow it became like, now I feel like it would be like Chase Bank or something. we be yeah. doing something like that too.
1: Well, and it also, I think it's the thought that goes behind it. And when you don't have the bandwidth to appreciate the thought, you can't, you can't access it. And then you feel contempt for it.
0: I have a feeling, though, that I think that artist would have liked what you (laughs) you did to it, because a lot of artists like it, like, oh, they changed it or they were I think he might have appreciated that. And if he's out there now and maybe hearing this, he'll might think like, that's who fucking did that. I was was watching who it Well, I love that story. I think it's a wonderful New York story. They don't all have to be wild. They don't all have to be anything. And it perfectly tells the tale of you having some sort of fun and feeling like a king at the end of the day in the greatest city in the world. I have to ask you my final question of the show. What is your favorite thing about New York City?
1: Well, my favorite thing about New York City is the food. Yes. And I've been, you know, Marrakesh, Rome, Hong Kong, Tokyo everywhere you can eat their good food. But in New York, if you're Somali, there is going to be a great Somali restaurant. And if you're not Somali, you can go to that great Somali restaurant and there'll be Somali people going, this is so good, you know? And so for me, that idea of not only does everybody come here, but they bring their food and then we get to try it and, and love it. Anytime I ever think... It would be easier to go somewhere and make a living. Eh, yeah, but I couldn't get the food. So that would be a reason to stay.
0: With your ability, you are telling it in a lovely storytelling way of all these types of people have brought this year, and we can experience it with them. And it's a way to bring us all together. Yeah. The best food in the world and all of the world's food can be found here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful stories you've given us for decades at this point and thank you for staying in for as long as you have well
1: thank you for inviting me most
0: importantly thanks new york they had fun